Hey folks, welcome to the Shire Salvos podcast once again. Jack Clifton behind the mic for the podcast that does update you on everything that's happening in the life of Shire Salvos at both a Menai and Miranda location. Hope you're doing well on this dreary Monday afternoon. It's grey skies, it's cloudy, it's a little bit rainy and wet, it's a little bit miserable weather, but hopefully uh, if you are feeling a little bit down, a little bit flat, or perhaps the day is just getting to you, uh, that the Shire Salvos podcast can be the, the tonic that ails you uh, here tonight. We're going to be listening to our sermon that, that happened yesterday at church. Mark McCrindle uh, um, was the special guest speaker for us. It was great uh, to listen uh, to Mark. He used a lot of uh, statistics and, and data and different things that I'm, I'm sure a lot of us in attendance weren't aware of, of some of the trends of the way that uh, the Christian church is going and I guess people's attendance and, and people's overall views on church as well. Um, so looking forward to bringing that to you um, in the podcast tonight. Uh, before we do uh, jump into our news, um, it is going to be the similar news that we've had over the last couple of weeks here on the podcast. Podcast, so uh, just to uh, just to make you aware um, of uh, of that, uh, but there is uh, some exciting things happening uh, around the life of our church. As always, uh, lots of uh, of different uh, different events. So looking forward uh, to bringing those to you. If there's any ever uh, ever anything here on the podcast that you you like, perhaps you might want to give us a little bit of feedback, or perhaps it was something that you want to ask a question about, or uh, anything along those lines. Would encourage you to get in contact with us. You can contact the church office directly. Um, you can uh, you can do that by sending them an email, or also just uh, just phoning them if you want to do that, um, or if perhaps there might even be something uh, that we've said that you didn't entirely agree with or something you want to talk about in regards to the sermon, would encourage you to get in contact with us here at the Shire Salvos podcast. You can do that directly with me as well. You can email me jack.clifton at live.com.au. So let's uh, jump into your news this week of things that are happening around the life of Miranda and Menai here at Shire Salvos. We kick it off by just reminding you that our Ignite series, it started on Sunday and it will continue for the next little while. So make sure you are attending church every Sunday, 9.30am, 11, 11 Pilliga Place there at Bangor. Uh, in regards to any, everything else that is happening um, and in the life of our church, we do have uh, a forthcoming encounter, a night of prayer and praise happening next Monday, the 24th of October at 7pm at Shire Salvers, again at 11 Pilliga Place. You can contact the church office on 9 9543-0487 for information about that. That event is happening uh, once a fortnight at the moment. Elsewhere, um, today, uh, earlier today, the Boomers and Beyond, they had uh, their event down at the Audley National Park and Cafe. Unfortunately, not the greatest of days, uh, but uh, do stick close to the Shire Salvers podcast and at church. We'll have updates for their next event, which I believe is their Christmas party um, is coming up uh, in the next month or so. As I spoke about the last couple of weeks here on the podcast, uh, the Covenant classes are, are starting soon at church. It's going to run over four weeks in November, kicking off on the 6th of November, uh, taking a look at the Salvation Army, Who Are We?, and then moving into events such as the Beliefs Fair Church on November 13, Discipleship on November 20, and November 27, concluding with Mission and Covenant, The Purpose and Promise. It's uh, a chance to become a member of the church, understand more about the philosophy um, and the, the standing of the Salvation Army, and will be happening on Sundays after our church service concludes, uh, but we'll be finishing before 1.30pm. Uh, if you do want to do that or you have more questions, please do direct them towards Joel Campbell and uh, yeah, before Sunday 30th October um, if you are interested in doing that. For the junior soldiers, uh, there's going to be an opportunity for kids aged 8 to 12 to do a small group discipleship course on what it means to be a church member in the Salvation Army. So that's going to be run on two Sundays in November straight after church and to register your interest, uh, please see uh, Beck Kundasami. 
Talking of kids, we've got the Equip Kids Camp coming up in late October and early November on the 28th to the 30th of October at Lake Macquarie and then the following weekend, the 4th to the 6th of November at Shoalhaven. It's $130 for children. Um, $100 if you're a leader has electives such as drumming, dance, art and sport and is for the age groups of 7 to grade 6, so ages 11 or 12. Uh, if you have uh, any questions or you're interested, you want to sign up, uh, please do, again, uh, direct your concerns to Bet Kundasami. You can contact uh, the church office, 95430487 there. Early next year, the young adults have already locked in their dates for their young adults retreat. 17th to the 19th of February, 2023. It's going to be held at the Pitwater Eco... Echo, uh, YHA, and uh, the early bird prices close on November 28, February 17 to February 19 there as well. And don't forget uh, that you can listen to the Shire Salvos podcast to get all your news, but there is other ways here at the Shire Salvos Church of uh, the ways you can stay on top of everything that's happening in the life of our church. You can head directly to our website, which is shiresalvos.org.au or our Facebook page, shiresalvos or facebook.com forward slash shiresalvos. Both the website and the Facebook page have lots of information uh, about what we're doing week in and week out here at church. But enough of me talking, enough of the news of what's happening around the church. Let's jump into our sermon from Sunday, the 16th of October. It was great to have Mark McCrindle bring us the word and really hope that you enjoy his sermon this week on the Shire Salvos podcast. Good morning. Great to be with you here at Shire Salvos and great to be part of this first week in your series of being light in the darkness and what a great theme it is. And being that light in the darkness, sharing that light in the darkness and showing that light is best done when we understand something of our times, these changing times, and when we get to know and understand our changing communities as well. And so I've been asked to give a bit of a snapshot of that, the times, the context, the changing society, and a few insights from God's word into that as well. Well, this was Paul's approach, the Apostle Paul, when he shared the light of Christ with those. He used whatever means were available, and he understood the people he was communicating with, and that helped him to be effective in his sharing of the light, in his witnessing for Christ when he gets to his letter that he writes to the church in Colossae, he gets the end of the letter. And he he puts his prayer list in that letter. And he says at the end of that, he says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. That God in his sovereignty might open the door. Pray for that. And he continues. And he said, and pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And you see in that, both sides, that there's God's sovereignty, the one who opens the doors and provides the opportunity for us to be the light and share the light. But then there is also that human responsibility that we might walk through that door and take advantage of those opportunities God gives and be effective in sharing the unchanging truth that God may and that I may. That's the opportunity, indeed the responsibility that we have. And I think the that I may part is done well when we understand something of our context, and that's what I want to discuss. Well, certainly we're living in a changed context. The last couple of years have highlighted just how much times have changed. We use new words that we didn't use even a couple of years ago. I saw the Oxford English Dictionary put out their word of the year last year, and the word of the year was the word vaxxed. It tells us a lot about the times we've lived through. But I found this one interesting, the word that has seen the most increased usage, the word unprecedented. 
Uh, I'm sure we've all been using it a bit. It's an era that's seen unprecedented use of the word unprecedented. So that tells us just how crazy these times are. I saw someone on Twitter sum it up pretty well. Uh, he said, don't know about you all, but I could really go for some precedented times. And uh, <laughs> probably looking forward to those. But God, in his divine sovereignty, has given us these unprecedented times of change, of turn. And I, in the analysis we have conducted, have seen a lot of positives that have come from COVID. We've seen Australians reprioritizing their life, get back to community, look for more meaningful lives, recognize the uncertainty of their existence, and look beyond themselves and their means for what more there might be. Perfect opportunity to be that light. Perfect opportunity to understand our changing society from a demographics perspective. Who is the community of Australia, or more locally, the community of the Shire, comprised of, and how are we changing? Well, it's a good time to look at that, because 10 weeks ago, the first tranche of census data came out, and uh, just on Wednesday, the second lot came out, and we got pretty excited about that. In fact, it only happens once every five years for us demographers to look at the census data. There's actual footage inside our office uh, when the census data is not, not playing, but you might remember the coach of Ariana Titmus. He got pretty excited when she got a medal, um, and that sort of summed up some of our feelings as well. It showed that our population is growing and continually changing. And again, getting a handle on this helps us be effective. We've hit 26 million people as a total population. We added 2 million people in five years. That was the highest increase in number in any five-year period ever. And that was 8.6% population growth in those five years. So pretty solid growth. And you're seeing that around the suburbs. You're seeing that around our cities and even in the regional areas now. Massive population growth, internal shift and migration. We've had closed borders. We had closed borders for two years. The borders are open and uh, we're growing once more through overseas migration as well. And that will move to what it has been for the last decade. Two-thirds of our population growth coming from overseas arrivals. And so a key aspect of our future, of our communities, and of those that we're connecting with is summed up by cultural diversity. If we look at the proportion of Australians born overseas, you've seen it over the 15 years continue to grow. Uh, and now more than one in four Australians born overseas. Uh, when you look here to the greater Sydney, it's more than one in three. So we're a diverse community. In fact, Sydney is Australia's most culturally diverse city. But if we move it from who was born overseas to who has at least one parent born overseas, we're at almost half of the population. In fact, you combine those two. Uh, if someone was either themselves born overseas or at least one parent born overseas, now we're at more than half of the total population. And so within one or two generations, we are diverse and the diversity is changing. It's not just migration patterns from England, which still is the number one country of birth of Australians, but now more likely to be Asia with China and India uh, rounding out the top three as well. In fact, one in four Australians speaks a language other than English at home. Well, that's pretty phenomenal. And so we've got cultural diversity and linguistic diversity. I mean, right there, uh, different bridges to build, to connect with our changing society. There's probably another language barrier to bridge beyond just the cultural differences, and that's the generational differences. And that came through in the census as well. We've got an aging population. And yet we've got record births as well. Even though the birth rate has been declining, total numbers of births exceed around the 300,000 per year. We've got a wider age range in our communities, 
in our societies, in our churches, and bridging generationally is key. Uh, on the generational language gaps, uh, a text conversation came my way between a Gen Z girl and her friend, and she had texted her friend, Bay, my new work gig is legit. The hours are savage. YOLO. <laughs> well, it's a different dialect of English, that's for sure. The response came back, yes, queen, slay girl, goat. I'm sure most of us in the room need a translation. I certainly did. Lots of emojis make up communication these days. Apparently, the Gen Z girl was simply saying to her friend, I like my job, and her friend was just saying, great. And <clears throat> Not sure why they didn't just say that, but that's uh, Generation Z. They keep us all young and fresh, don't they, and up with the times, which is great. But they're using new technology, communicating in new ways. And so from the cultures of background to the generations, our society is diverse. And we need to understand that and work out how to bridge these gaps and connect. We've got changing religious affiliation. I'm sure you noticed this in the census data as well. One thing that's been consistent now for five decades has been the decline of the population identifying with Christianity down to 44% from 52% just five years earlier. If we look at this, Christianity, total Christianity has been declining while no religion has been rising and all of the other religions as well, part of that cultural diversity have been rising also. And so we're more religiously diverse and more people saying no religion, more spiritual diversity and fewer people saying Christianity. And we can think, well, this is tough times then in which we're ministering and the trend line doesn't look good. But let me put up another trend line. In fact, I've put up here the last four census results of Christianity. So you can see in 2006, we're at 64% now at 44%. That's a big drop, as you can see, in a little over 15 years. But over the same period of time, the National Church Life Survey, which is the, the red dots there, that looks at the proportion of Australians who attend church once a month or more, and that has been unchanged. It's still 16% of the population. So what does this tell us? If the proportion, in fact, the number of Australians attending church regularly, the number of Australians uh, living out that faith through measured by church attendance is actually unchanged, or in fact, growing slightly. What, why are we seeing a decline in the people saying Christianity in the census? Well, Australians are taking this question quite seriously. It used to be filled in. A lot of, has been made of the fact that you go back six decades ago and almost nine in ten Australians said Christianity. It's not that nine in ten Australians were believers and active in their faith. It's just that it was part of their history and their heritage. This question sits in the census form amidst the questions of ancestry and cultural background. And that's how statisticians have traditionally thought about faith. Well, it's passed on from your parents. It's whatever your parents were, probably you're going to tick that same box. But that's not how Australians fill it in now. They say, what is my active faith and what is my current belief? Now, it's interesting because the question before looks at ancestry, and it's still amazing to me that more Australians say that their ancestry is English than Australian. You know, even though less than 5% of the population was born in England. But we go, oh, look, I've been here, my parents born. But I think somewhere back there we were English, or in my case we were Scottish, or there's a bit of, you know, Greek or whatever it might be. So I better tick that box. Even though it's, they've never been to the country or it's not active in their life, they go, yeah, I've got some ancestral background from this place. They tick the box. Not so with the faith question. Unless it's my current belief, even though my parents were, I went to Sunday school or grandparents or we had this denominational connection, I'm not current in the belief, I'm not active in the practice, I'm not going to tick the box. So cultural Christianity is declining. 
but a third of the people who tick the box are active in terms of regular church attendance. So we've got a more solid number. That's what's going on with that question. I think there's other source for optimism as we look at what's happening. This data from our study of Australians since COVID, 47% of Australians are thinking more about the meaning of life, are thinking more about their own mortality as well since COVID. 33%, a third of Australians are thinking more about God since COVID and more about the true important things of life. 28% say they're praying more. And this is the proportion that are doing it more. Almost everyone else in the form said that they're just doing it the same. But far more likely to have looked to these issues of faith and meaning and purpose and our existence since COVID. The pandemic rattled Australians. It showed us that not even the health professionals had it in hand, that we didn't know what tomorrow or next week was going to hold. And it did cause people to think about the issues of faith. You can see here 53% of Australians. This is part of this theme of you know, less materialism and more meaning. They're looking to their local community more than they did three years ago, looking for that connection, looking that, for that belonging. 76% of Australians agree that churches in their local area are making a positive difference to their community. Even if, as we saw, only about 16% go, 76% of Aussies say, but they're doing great things. I see it, and I see some of the positive work that goes on. 90% of Australians believe that in Australia, people should have the freedom to share their religious beliefs even um, if done in a peaceful way, even if those beliefs are different to the mainstream community views. So we've got wide support for the freedoms to share our faith, to communicate that light that we are and the truth of Christ. Now, by reading the newspaper, by seeing the social media posts, we don't always get that impression. We think our Christianity is at odds with society. It's in the margins and people don't want to hear people talk about religious things. It's not the case. Great positive signs from this research around the openness of Australians to looking at truth and for the support of the freedoms to share one's faith. Also, we've got new digital means of connecting now that we wouldn't have had if not for COVID. Uh, we found uh, in this study on the future of the church that most churches and most churchgoers have said they benefited from online church and they're looking for that digital connection to continue to the extent that's possible. I mean, what an amazing technology we have. It's interesting to see the, the pivot of, um, of church leaders in this. I, I saw this meme during the rounds. Pastors in 2020. Facebook is from the devil. Uh, Pastors in 2020. Follow our life services. Uh, it's sort of, we, we sort of got the message. You know, it's, got its, it's got its benefits, social media. We're not going to condemn social media anymore. We've seen how positive it can be. We, um, I, I have no doubt that the Apostle Paul, we began by looking at his his letter to the church at Colossae. He would have used whatever social media platforms were available, whatever devices we have, whatever means this society presents to be effective in his ministry. Because he was doing that in his day, wasn't he? He was using the latest ships that had been built that allowed for intercontinental travel. He was there on the Mediterranean sailing around on his missionary journeys. He was using those Roman roads that connected the empire to see the spread of his letters across the churches. He was using the common language, Koine Greek, which had emerged to connect people with a common tongue. He was using that for the spread of the gospel, as we saw in the first century. The latest technologies, whatever the communication mediums were, he was using. You know, that was the broadband of his day, was common Koine Greek and, and was the roads to connect. And he would be using the broadband or whatever else technologically in this era too, I have no doubt. And so 
We've got great opportunities to connect and engage in this era. It's not all a downside when we look at this data around Australians and the issues of faith. We just finished a study that was launched actually on Thursday looking at faith and belief in Australia. And one of the questions we asked of a sample of more than 2,000 Australians, a representative snapshot of our population, and we said, which of these statements do you most respond to around the issues of Christianity? Just to sort of put Australians on a barometer, if you like, towards uh, faith and Christianity. And firstly, at the top there, 30%, 3 in 10 Australians say, I consider myself a Christian. So census data says 44% say their religion is Christianity. But you've got most of them, now we drop a few from 44% down to 30%, who will actually personalise and say, it's not just my religion, I call myself a Christian. And that's pretty solid. And then you've got another four, uh, one in four, so 27%, who we would say are warm towards Christianity. They're not Christians by any means. They don't use that term. But they say th they accept the statements like, I believe in Christianity, but I don't consider myself a Christian. Or the next one down, I believe much of Christianity, but I still have some significant doubts. Or even, I believe in the ethics and values of Christianity, but I don't practice Christianity in any way. So we're moving down the barometer from red hot uh, to a bit cooler. But still, I would say this one in four are warm towards Christianity. And then we've got one in eight in the middle there that are neutral. I believe Christians and churches should have religious freedoms, but I don't want to be involved. Okay, clearly not on board, but supportive of Christian freedoms. And then we move to the one in four that are quite cool towards Christianity and the expression of truth. I have some issues with Christianity and it isn't for me, or I have strong reservations about Christianity and have no interest in it, or I'm passionately opposed to Christianity. But here's the takeaway. Three in four Australians, in fact, as you can see from that, 72%, more than seven in 10, are either identifying as Christians or warm, or at least supportive of Christianity and the freedoms. That's the terrain in which we operate. And we sometimes think that that number is flipped, that everyone's against Christianity in the church, that you can't sort of be involved in a church and be on a corporate board or something, or you'll sort of lose your job. This is the narrative that's communicated. But if we look at the context, while there is pushback in certain circles and some media and you know, political or academics that might uh, speak out um, against Christianity, it's actually quite different in the real world. Uh, have a look at this, religious identification. Where are the trends going as we look to the emerging generation? We filtered this data again, just finished the study uh, last week, and the whole study is freely accessible, you can get hold of it. Um, but, uh, but we filtered by generation, firstly, those that identify with Christianity. You can see that young people are half as likely as the older generation to say their faith is Christianity. Um, what about spirituality? You can see those that say spiritual beliefs but not a mainstream religion are much more likely, five times more likely to be in the younger generation than the older. So less likely to say Christianity will be part of a mainstream faith, more likely to be spiritual, more likely, as you can see, to say none of the above, or neither religious or spiritual, and, uh, and more likely from the cultural diversity perspective to be part of a faith or religion other than Christianity. So it is in some ways um, a challenge with younger people because they're less likely to just come into the church. That disconnect between Christianity and their experience is greater than ever before. They haven't had that, that input from parents or grandparents into Christian things. In some ways, we've moved from a Christian society to a post-Christian society, now with the younger people to a pre-Christian one, where they don't know a whole lot about Christianity, Christ, or the Bible. 
Uh, this study here, though, or this um, question was, I think, quite positive. Australians are open to spiritual conversations. We asked, how open would you be to a spiritual conversation that may involve different views to your own? And you can see that 46% of Australians said extremely or very open. Well, that's almost half of the population that extremely or very open to hearing a view, your perspective, your testimony, what Christ has done in your life. It might be different to their experience. They're extremely or very open to that. In fact, only one in five are not at all open. So the majority are. And when we filtered this by generation, so just under half of Australians said they're extremely or very open. By generation, more than half of the Gen Zs are extremely or very open. That tells me that they want to hear, that they're not only open to it, but will embrace that conversation with us, if only we will have it. So younger people, less likely to be Christians, more likely to be open to hearing from Christians. And where? Well, in every space and any space, we ask this question, how open should we be? Should, how, how appropriate is it in these spaces to talk about spiritual things and religious things? Social media, younger people, 77% saying, yeah, definitely, that's, that's the place for it, far more than the older generations. Dinner parties, workplaces, younger people saying, yeah, there's no limits, it's not inappropriate, go for it, the majority are saying, uh, compared to uh, the minority of the older generations. Even around community events or mainstream media or public schools, the majority of the younger generation said that it's appropriate, it's a space where we can and indeed, people should feel free to share the issues of faith. They are more open in these places. They're more open to having the conversations and they're more open to engaging in these issues. As we think, therefore, about connecting, we've got to think intergenerationally. We've got to think about bridging the gaps about that next generation and indeed about having places where all the generations can come together. And the church is one of the few places where that exists. 67% of Australians in this study agree that a healthy community is one with strong intergenerational connections. Our society has become so stratified based on age. People hang out with their own age group. They're, they're connecting with their own age group on social media. Um, and there's not the same places where people can hear from the generations of their experiences and connect. And the church offers that. And so we have a great place to exemplify what Australians want. Intergenerational community, bridge building and connection across the age groups. It does mean, though, understanding something of the difference. I heard a sort of a conversation between a baby boomer and a younger team member. Um, uh, it was a work from home environment, and he asked, oh, could you fax over a copy? And the response came back, no, I can't fax because of where I live. And his response, well, where do you live? And uh, she simply said, the 21st century. So uh, <laughs> it's time that we, we all got there. I thought that summed it up pretty well. So yes, we've got to understand something of the young people to engage, but I think we've also got to look at some of the changing contexts of our world and maybe adjust and adapt to that. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul would have never changed the message. It was the timeless truth that he was entrusted with. And we ought never change that. But he said, hey, I'll become all things to all people. For the sake of translating that message, for the sake of bringing that message, I will adapt. Not the message, but my messaging style, my approach, my strategies, my activities. So what prompts Australians to discuss things of faith? When are they most open to hearing the light of Christ in your life? 
Number one, death in the family. Number two, conversations with others. Number three, health issues of a family member, personal unhappiness. You can see that in tough times, death of loved ones, health issues, unhappiness, we look beyond our resources. We, we, we know we're beyond our resources and we look to deeper answers. So in the tough times, opportunities. But, but the big number two, conversations will just start it. So you don't even have to wait till someone is in a really tough time to be that comfort and to point to um, uh, the opportunities of, of God in their life. Uh, you, you just by having conversations, one quarter of Australians say, you know what, conversations with others is what has got me or gets me to think about spiritual issues. We just have to be there and step forward and take advantage of those open doors. 90% of Australians in this study say they have heard of Jesus and know at least a few things about his life. The problem is they just know a little bit. They don't know a lot. And so it's not um, a, a subject that they've never heard of, if we want to talk about Christ, but it's certainly a subject that they don't have an in-depth understanding of, perhaps even misconceptions of. As I said, we're moving into this almost pre-Christian era in Australia where any remnant of the Christian faith in mainstream Australia has evaporated. In fact, um, we asked Australians, all right, well, you, nine in ten of you know something of Jesus. We asked in a multiple choice question, in which century did Jesus live? And 42% got the correct answer, you know, first century AD. Uh, there's only, I think, four or five options. 28% uh, went straight to the bottom one, I have no idea. I was most worried, though, about the 27% of Australians who said that Jesus lived in ancient times before Christ. And uh, just trying to even understand how they interpreted that, but... Um, it does show something of the basic biblical illiteracy and indeed a bit of historical illiteracy there as well. But nine in 10 Australians, 89% know at least one Christian, at least one person in their life who calls themselves a Christian. So we wanted to find out from them, okay, this person that you know as a Christian, what, what are they like? I mean, it's our chance to listen, tell us the secrets. Like, what are they, what, what, are, what are the perceptions you have of them? And we put 20 characteristics to Australians. 10 were positive, 10 were negative. They're all jumbled up in the survey. And it was astounding for me, very encouraging to find that the top 10 responses were those top 10 attributes. And the bottom 10 responses were those bottom 10 attributes. And in, to a far lesser degree. In other words, the average Australian, when they think about the Christian that they know, says, oh, that person, yeah, they're caring and they're kind and they're loving and faithful and honest and truthful and passionate and joyful and gracious and intelligent. Uh, that, that was just an astounding finding to me. There wasn't a single wrinkle in the result where one of those negatives came up. Uh, now, there are some, some of us out there have given a bad rep because um, to some extent, some Aussies are saying, oh, the Christian, I know they're old-fashioned, judgmental, opinionated, hypocritical, ignorant, intolerant, divisive, insensitive, rude, and uneducated. But only one in 20 of them. You know, the majority, as we think about the Christians that we know, had some pretty positive reputation. So there's warmth to Christians, there's warmth to Christianity, and there's warmth to Christ. I think all of that is a great opportunity. I said that 90% know a Christian. Keep in mind that means more than 2 million Australians don't have a single Christian in their life, don't even know a single Christian, and no doubt many of those are in this community here. So if we were to invite someone, would they come? I mean, that's the big question, right? We're talking about people in our society, the general community that live up the road or we connect at the kids club or in our workplace, would they come if we invited them? Well, we asked that question. 
how likely would you be to attend a Christian church service if personally invited by a friend or family member? And have a look in the dark green there, the extremely likely, or the next one, the very likely. That's, 14, that's so 29%, almost one in, third, one in three that we invite say they'd be extremely very likely to come. And I'd, I'd bank on the somewhat likely, the, the next green one, the 24%, to probably maybe show up as well. And so what we've got there is 53%, more than half of the population are saying, yeah, I'd at least somewhat likely come, if not extremely very likely to come. That's a, a one in two result with those invitations you hand out. That's pretty good. You'd take those odds any day of the week, wouldn't you? It's just that we think, oh, it's probably only about one in 20 would come. It's actually one in two would probably come. And of that extremely very, I mean, you can almost guarantee they will be there. And that's a one in three odds. That's pretty good. So we then filtered this, okay? We got just a lot of warm, you know, nice people out there. So we then chose those. We filtered by those who said they were non-religious. They don't go anywhere. They're not, they're not um, uh, part of, of a church in any way. And 44% of non-religious Australians would at least slightly likely attend a church service, would, would give us the benefit of the doubt and perhaps show up. So 53% of the total population, 40% of those that say they're non-religious, again, those that have no connection with the issues of faith say that they will give it a go. Pretty positive results. When we ask the younger generation where they go to at least weekly to get spiritual input, to find about the issues of faith and religion, this was the result, and it was quite astonishing. A technology generation. Number one, go to TikTok. Number two, they're going to Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, podcast, Twitter, Metaverse. They are going to the digital, even above the traditional, to find meaning in their life, spiritual solutions. Now, we have seen some of the TikTok videos and wonder what they're consuming out there, you know. Um, but that's where they're going. And therefore, I think the opportunity, firstly, for us in real relationship to connect and guide, but secondly, it highlights a digital generation. Now, this is a generation that have digitally integrated the technology from their earliest years. The rest of us, us Gen Xers, baby boomers, I'd say are digital transactors. And we use the same tools, but we, we pick them up, we transact, we put them back down. We use them for productivity reasons. But they wear the technology, they interact seamlessly with it. It's the only stuff that they have ever known. Generation Alpha, the children of today, born since 2010. They therefore were born in the very year that Instagram was launched. 2010 was the year that the iPad was released. The youngest generation, 2010, was the year they began being born. That was the year that app was the word of the year. So they've only ever known this world of the digital, the device, the social media platform, the apps and the technology that connects. If we think about TikTok that we just saw, it's video, not just spoken or written form. It's short form video. And it's video where they don't just consume someone else's stuff, but they create their own stuff and upload it and post it. Or take someone's material and turn it into a duo and add their own um, angle to it. Now we might wonder, what's the TikTok world doing to education and society in the future? Um, I've got some worries at times. I did see a school advertising their upcoming literacy night, and this was the sign they put out the front. So, you know, I'm not sure um, what's happening out there, but, uh, but, but nonetheless, this is the world of the next generation. Can we use the latest technologies, the platforms, and even uh, what God has given us in this era to engage? 
I see that for Australian teenagers, the number one search engine is no longer Google. They don't want to search within the, the, the Google platform. They're spending longer searching within the YouTube platform because they want to watch a video on it that explains it, not read an article that, uh, that talks about it. So it's a visual generation that consume content on screens and often multi-screening as well. It's a generation that speaks to the technology. They just interact with it around them. I, I think, again, as older generations, we, we worry so much about this and privacy and what data is being collected. In fact, I saw a Gen Xer with a few concerns around this. She said, my husband asked me why I spoke so softly in the house. I said I was afraid Mark Zuckerberg was listening. <laughs> he laughed and I laughed and Alexa laughed and Siri laughed. <laughs> it might be, they might know something about this, so uh, not too sure. But it is the world that God has placed us in, and I think we can redeem the times and redeem the technology, and indeed use some of that to connect and engage. But nothing can compare with the relationships that we have, with that personal interaction, and with the people that God has placed in our life to be that light in the darkness too. So let me conclude by spending just a few minutes looking at a passage in Jeremiah chapter 29. It's a passage written to exiles in a foreign land. They weren't living in Jerusalem, a place of faith. They were living in Babylon, a very pagan place, a place of a multitude of ideas and beliefs. And I think we're a bit more in the Babylon than Jerusalem these days. They were therefore minorities in their society. They were exiles, having been taken from Jerusalem as God's people by Nebuchadnezzar and living there. And they were trying to work out, well, what do we do while we're here in exile? Like, do we bunker down and just sort of ignore the society? Or, or maybe do we work against the society? After all, they're ungodly people, these Babylonians with false gods. Do we fight against it? Do we ignore it? Do we pull up the drawbridge and have our own little community? What do we do? And so Jeremiah is given from God a message that he sends to the exiles. And I think in some ways this is a little of our era as well. And we read in Jeremiah 29 verse 1, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders amongst the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So what's the message? Give it, give it to us, God, via Jeremiah. Do we fight against? Do we bunker down? What do we do? And here's what they were told. Firstly, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So the first verse said Nebuchadnezzar carried them off. But this verse, the opening verse says of the letter, says actually God says I carried you off. And I guess that's my first point, that God is in control that he is sovereign, that he has us in this time, at this place, in this era. He knows what's going on, and he's given us the resources, the gifts, and what we need to engage with our community, even though we feel like we're in exile. And the next verse has my second point. Here's what they're told to do. Don't bunker down. Don't work against the system. Engage in the system. Create flourishing. Invest in the system. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Build, connect, invest, add value, support, get behind, engage in community life. And that's my second point. God is firstly in control, and secondly, God is a God of calling. He calls us and plants us where we are to be community, to be light, and to be life. And it continues. 
and also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Just a reminder that God did it. He's in control. We are where we are for his reasons. And, and pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Hang on, they're thinking, but we were told to pray for Jerusalem. But do we pray for Babylon? Yes, you pray for Babylon, because you're invested there. You're part of it. I've called you there. And so, this is my third point, God is a God of community. So, he's a God of control, and he knows what's happening. He's a God of, uh, of community in terms of invest, getting to us to invest in it. And he's a God of calling that he's placed us where he's placed us for his reasons. And, uh, and it concludes with this. And this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I'll fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. That was 70 years. Most of them were never going to return by the time they're hearing this. This is their life. They're in Babylon for the rest of their life and most of their children's life as well. But he says, I will fulfill my full promises to you. And maybe that's in an eternal sense for us where we will be finally home. But in the meantime, we invest and connect where we are. And he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you or not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Verses we know well, verses that we love, but verses that come in that letter to the exiles. And if you're feeling like an exile in our society, feeling like, just the dim light of Christianity is setting and we're in increasingly Babylonian times, understand that God is in control and he has you here. Understand that he has a God of calling and he's given you opportunities and gifts and days to do his work. The call that he's put in your life. Understand that he's a God of community and wants us to build community. Not fight against our society, not bunker down away from our society, but build and invest and connect in our society. And he's a God of completion because he will take the meek and humble efforts of our hands and do something mighty. And you know what? We may not even see the full fruition of what we do in our lifetime, but in an eternal sense, it will reap a reward that far outweighs any troubles and challenges of this age. He will complete it in his perfection, in his good grace, and for his kingdom's sake. Let me pray that we will see that in our day. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've placed us in this city that you love the city of Sydney, this area of the Shire. You've got plans for the community. You've got plans for these people made in your image whom you love. And may we understand something of your heart for the people. May we be light in the darkness. May we be salt in an era where people have lost a taste for deeper spiritual things. May we take advantage of some of these statistics where people are open where people are willing, where people will come if only asked, where people will engage in even the digital technologies looking for meaning. And in that, may we recognize you're in control and you've got a calling even on our lives. You'll have opportunities for us to build a community and you will take that work and build it to completion for your kingdom's sake and the sake of your holy son's name. Amen. Always nice to have a, a new person uh, preaching to us and speaking to us and having a visitor to our church. And yeah, it was great to have Mark bring us the word and kicking off our Ignite series uh, here at Shire Salvers. It was, yeah, really uh, beneficial to have Mark, such a great speaker, so confident, um, so confident of the word, but also, I guess, kind of tying in what he does uh, for a nine to five Monday to Friday job with uh, some of the trends of, of what the church is looking like and how we can be using those, uh, those skills and those ideas to perhaps uh, help us a little bit more to uh, talk to people about 
about Christ and, uh, and encourage uh, others to, to maybe uh, walk the path that we're currently walking um, with God at the moment. So hope you were able to get something out of that. I hope you were able to get something out of the podcast. That is the, the aim of it. And, and uh, if perhaps you didn't get something out of the sermon, maybe there was something in amongst uh, this, uh, this chat about uh, news and things that are happening uh, that has encouraged you or made you excited uh, for the future. We'll be back next Monday afternoon for a brand new episode of the Shire Salvos podcast. But until get, till then, this is Jack Clifton signing off. Stay safe. God bless.